live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, you all know, you know we love music. Music is one of our favorite things at the No Outlet Podcast. We've had singers on, we've had producers, we've had bassists, we've had people that have won Grammys, we've had guitarists, songwriters, and many, many others, and we've loved having all of them on the show. And another thing that we love here at the No Outlet Podcast is having a first. Well, tonight we've got another first, and it's in the field of music. And for the first time, we have a DJ on our show. We're going to talk about all things music, genres, how to play music, how to listen to music. We're going to break it down. We're going to get scientific Uh, And we are going to talk to a man who goes by the name of Sheldon, also known as DJ Spinchecks. Please give a warm No Outlet welcome to DJ Spinchecks. How are you, sir? Thank you. I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? Doing great, doing great. Um, So we're going to play a game called 20 Questions, and it always starts the exact same place, and that's question number one. Question number one, so... We've got so many different ways to listen to music. I don't know exactly how old you are, but I get the feeling that you and I are pretty close in age, and we've seen the evolution of different ways to listen to music, right? Like everything from uh, an 8-track to a cassette to a CD to a piece of vinyl to now streaming on digital. There's there's a million different ways to listen. Of all those ways that you can listen to music, what's your favorite way? Well, <clears throat> I'd have to say vinyl and, you know, the debate of whether it's technically sounds better or worse is kind of a side point. But for me, it's the experience, you know, you put a record on from the beginning to the end. It's never silent. You'll always hear some sort of noise. The uh, You can't really cheat and skip your way out of a track that you're not really interested in. And you could hold up the, the jacket and read who produced it and guests on it it just the the experience on vinyl seems to be more uh appealing for me uh, as music yeah i mean it's more it's more holistic you know what i mean like you mentioned like an album cover i think one thing that's been lost with the advancement of technology specifically around how we consume music is you know the intricate and detailed album covers that we used to be able to look at in the 60s, 70s, 80s are gone. You know what I mean? I mean, they're not completely gone, but they're gone where they used to be a lot more prevalent. I used to look forward to going to a record store, looking at a record and trying to figure out what does this artist, like, what are they all about? So I, you know what I mean? In times, yeah, yeah. At times you'd uh, pick up an album cover and you just go, hmm, this, this is, looks like it could be something I'd like and you may know nothing about the band but you pick it up and it's still an experience you have to go home put the vinyl on to to educate yourself what you think and how you feel about that record and and, uh, it's not that way anymore Um, you don't get to make those guesses and then wait it's kind of like taking you know film from a camera and waiting for a week to get to see the results yeah totally I remember going into I think it was I think it was a place called Rock Bottom Records. There was one in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. 
and I was 13, maybe 12, and the Smiths had just put out Meet His Murder. And I had never heard of the Smiths. I mean, I was in sixth or seventh grade, and there was no internet there. I, you know, we were still in just New Hampshire. And I remember looking at that cover and just being like, what is this? Like, what is this all about? And the names of the the songs were equally perplexing. And I'm just like, well, I need to know what this is all about. And from that moment forward, you know, I've I've been a big Smith fan my whole life. And, and I don't know if that ability to discover new music has really been hurt because people don't have that. It's, it's just what's streaming, what's a TikTok, you know what I mean? Like there's a different way to experience it, but I feel like we've lost something great. Yeah. There, the, the, the idea of the idea of what going through what you went through and then finding out that my intuition was right. Yes. That, uh, is, is something that is part what used to be part of that, uh, you know, that process. Totally. But uh, we don't, don't don't get. I mean, that was the same thing when I looked at uh, picked up Elvis Costello's "Get Happy." Yep. And <clears throat> I just liked the outfit that he was wearing. I just something I would you know kind of identify with at that time. And then <clears throat> you just reading the names, you know, the <clears throat> King Horse and you know B movie. Just just things that I was like, oh, that stirred my imagination for how young I was. So. Right. Um, same same experience that I like you referred to is, is kind of a lost situation now. Agree. So, uh, so the name DJ Spinchecks. Where first of all, where'd you get the name? Talk to me about the name and the logo itself. The name, well, way a lot earlier in my life, I would DJ at a college radio station at uh, Santa Clara University. Yep, and uh, I just grabbed a. Uh, a name DJ Trash Can. It was a birthday party song. It was also mentioned in Trash Trampoline and the Party Girl U2's uh, B-side um, to a song called A Celebration. And then I thought, well, that I can at least queue up two songs that, that mention that. And then as time gone by and I started getting back into DJs, I literally couldn't find anything that wasn't already taken. Mm-hmm. You Google any anything, you're like, oh, oh somebody already has that. So. Um, just kind of picked two words and uh, that that's what came out. There you go. Uh, the, the logo is a result of my wife was asking me what kind of logo I do. And we talked about alter, you know, taking known logos and kind of moving it into something that for me, instead of trying to come up with something new. Yeah, totally. And, and that was the result with the, what it means to be a DJ and where am I a DJ? Um, the DJ is getting for me is getting to continue experiencing pulling out vinyl and, and take an intuitive guess on what may work next, what people may want to hear. Yep. Um, it's also thinking about what are some ideas I can do moving from one genre to another. Uh, <clears throat> it also allows me to just be completely engrossed mechanically and, and audibly and, visually with music uh and nothing is digital and for the most part you do have digital aspects but for the most part it's just i'm i'm relying on myself right and and uh it's it's a it's something that i've done off and on several times and i just keep coming back to the experience that i knew which is two turntables i do have a digital setup but um that 
is more for trying to do mashups and things that sure. that I vinyl makes it hard for me to do. Yep. No, that's cool. I love that. I've checked out your uh, setup on your Instagram page, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. And one of the things that made me realize was that not only you know how we listen to music, but the the actual equipment. Like I still have my, I saved up in 1988 to buy a Nakamichi receiver, a Sanyo double C, you know, cassette tape player, so I could make mixtapes and I've got a really nice yeah. Sony CD player. And at the time it was like so expensive and so nice. And now it's obsolete, but I still love it. I still use it all the time. And, um, you know, I wonder, you know, do you have a preferred set of equipment that you use? Uh, it's, it's right now all I have is, is, you know, the techniques turntable and I go through, um, depending on where, if, if I'm in, where I'm downstairs, I'll go through uh, Morant's uh, mm-hmm. receiver. Wow! Uh, I do have a cassette player that I need because I have boxes and boxes of cassette tapes mm-hmm. that are mixtapes, uh, demo tapes from when I was uh, in a band doing music. Um, and just, I mean, I don't even know what's on half of them because I didn't right. mark them down. <laughs> so I got to go through and, you know, listen to it and go, oh, probably something on here I need to digitize for posterity's sake. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, let's talk about different decades of music. So you don't have to spec, you know, specifically date yourself, but let's just take the 70s, 80s, 90s, and then I'm going to say 2000s and kind of beyond. I'm going to lump them all together. Um, or you can break them up if you want to, but... For you, when you look at your whole music catalog and you kind of are looking to experience a song, a genre, a group, whatever it may be, is there a decade that stands out as like, oh, well, that decade had the most prolific, creative, you know, uh, genius level artist more so than any other decade? Is Is there a favorite decade for you? There, I, well, there's, there is, I like the late 70s, the the birth of the punk and alternative post-punk stuff mm-hmm. because it was creative. There was, there was nobody had done it yet. So people were using different influences, their rock influences, their, you know, musical influences and everybody was bringing something to the table and then eighties kind of, uh, you know, elevated that to a, you know, the genre of new wave and, and uh, alternative. And then, I get in the 2000s, I guess the 90s and the 2000s, that, that um, tween there where you, you start hearing bands, the Brit pop era, um, and, and bands starting to, like Radiohead, trying to get back to bringing something new to the table. Right. There, there's blocks in each era that is redundant. It's just the record companies find what's working and then just put tons of it out. But there's always seems to be right before that uh, a collection of bands. You're like, I've never heard of them before. And you mm-hmm. put it on, and you're like, man, I wish I would have paid more attention. Yeah, totally. And I, that's a really good point in terms of right before it's everywhere. Um, like, for example, I was a DJ again in college, early 90s, and we got the advanced copy of Nevermind. And nobody knew. I mean, they had made an EP before that, but nobody really knew who Nirvana was. And mm-hmm. 
you could just tell by the reaction when we played it. And it was a little small college in New Hampshire. It was just something different and special. And then it didn't take very long for the music industry to say, okay, well, there's a moneymaker. And the next thing you know, it's like there's the quote-unquote Seattle sound. But all that really was was the music producers and record labels saying, let's go make some money by finding every single band that is remotely similar in nature or derivative of Nirvana. You know what I mean? Like that's just, and that's, I've never heard anybody else put it that way that you just did, but that's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It was at that exact era. Uh, I was in San Jose and we had, there was a, a, a fall winter era where all those bands were coming through for their first time. The Melvins, Tad, and mm-hmm. a lot of the sub pop people and Nirvana came through and played a, small club cactus club and you know you remember just going in and you just watching these guys and you're like man that they all sound like they're kind they definitely all sound like they're coming from the same area mm-hmm. Seattle but you know we we had that was new for us in San Jose and so we we're just kind of I was trying to kind of sit and say do, do I need to like this should I jump on board <laughs> right yeah so it's like I look back and I want to say like yeah I was all all in hundred percent but I stood there and sat and was like oh I think I can go home and you know put my class Sandinista record on so right it it took me a while I, it also was the production value when Nevermind came out it really showed where what it was but when you see it live it was you know the mix wasn't right and so you could be a little dismissive of it but you look back and you want to think you heard it and I'm like that. I don't remember sitting there going, oh, these guys are going to make it. Right, right. Totally. Absolutely. So if you can go back in time, right, and you could go to any year with any band and watch them perform live, and it could be even before you were on this planet, is there a group, is there a year that you would want to go back and just see a live performance by anybody? Oh, uh, boy, that. That's like you, you, the second you asked that, it was like a ping pong ball just went off, just all over, hitting all the years, decades. I'm like, right. it would be rough for me to to commit to one because as I grew up, so many bands, influences be changed, you know, the bands that were my favorite. Um, like when I was really young, it was The Who, and I would love to have gone back and seen them on their, you know, Who sellout era. Uh, mm-hmm. But it always... If I could, it would be, it would be, it would probably see the clash after, you know, right before, right around London calling mm-hmm. that era. Yeah. So, I right, like that. Right before Sandinista. So that would probably, their Sandinista tour would probably be the one I'd, I'd want to go back to. Yeah. I, uh, I remember trying to convince, my friends in Rye Junior High School to that how great the Clash were and there was very few very few believers with me but my yeah. dad was so into them and uh, so you know you listen to what's around you and my dad used to play you know um, all their records the the Clash their their first one and then you know obviously London Calling and um, and I just remember thinking this is the greatest band ever and then I would try to you know I would try to show it to my friends and like a few got it but it was it wasn't an easy sell back then it was just so out of the norm of what people were used to uh listening to you know um yeah that's i went through that same thing with you too you know going around with the boy album right like "Mm, don't get it and you know and who knew like 10 years later people would be 
paying the Coliseum prices to see him. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, so where did this love of music come from? Like, was there, you know, were you around it? Did you learn how to play an instrument when you were younger? Were you, like, were you around someone that was in the music industry or you just happened to love music? Um, grew up in a family. My father at the time was a jazz person yeah. that, but the jazz he listened to was, it just never clicked with me um, when I was younger. <clears throat> but I also, you know, he was, everything he listened to was basically what they call yacht rock, um, mellow yacht rock, Neil Diamond, John Denver, the Carpenters, uh, so that's the stuff I was surrounded with. And, you know, it's like every once in a while I'll hear a Carpenter song and it'll bring back a memory. But the, the, the one thing that I thought would be rebellious for my, for my dad was learning bluegrass. So I picked up the banjo and just mm-hmm. started playing, you know, the loudest, fastest music I heard at the time. And, and all of a sudden punk started coming out and I was like, Oh, that's fast too. And it's probably could be just as loud as annoying as my banjo. So yes. that's where that evolved to. I love that. That's great. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Spotify and other streaming services, you know, like Spotify? Cause there was, you know, Napster had the idea, but they just didn't quite have, enough inertia behind it they didn't really have the platform and the program it wasn't it wasn't quite there and you could make an argument if you looked at you know both sides of the equation like it's a great app in that it it always it, it always works it almost never crashes every song's there the downside is that it really has changed the economics for the artists and it's not always in the best way and i know a lot of people are anti-spotify so i wanted to get your opinion uh, I mean, that's it's a great question because it's it comes back down to another question somebody asked me once is like, you know, what about when you go through and you're you're looking and you find this original release of this vinyl and you're like, oh man, 150 bucks, 200 dollars, and you buy it and what do you think about that? The artists don't get a penny from that, mm. and and I it just made me stop and say, well, well, what it's odd because I've bought this album at my age. I've bought this album probably 10 times, you know, mm-hmm. every version you could imagine. But I do, it did make me rethink that. And that the economics, it seems to be any way they could find a way to avoid paying the artists that they, they will. Mm-hmm. And they always, it just seems like they always find a way to, um, to, to talk them out of their best <laughs> interests. And, it goes when I was I was in a band um, that was getting signed and I was getting overwhelmed by the contract language. Unfortunately, a friend of mine knew Henry Rollins' lawyer and said, "Yeah, I'll have her look at the contract." And it was just redlined like crazy when I got it back. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and I, it was probably the best reading I had ever because it's just like so cut down to the cut and dry it's like yeah we'll do this and and you don't own anything but what we produce for you but i i'm constantly debating how do how can we once again get back to making it a simple way of gaining of of artists getting the cut that Mm -hmm. they deserve and i just keep running into like i was thinking maybe if uh 
Apple had a way where they would sell uh, resellers a discounted code for a certain album, and they could take that $3 or whatever it is and tack it onto their used album. Mm-hmm. So when you buy that used album, you get a download code to download it too. But Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it's just uh, just trying to think of a way that these artists could benefit from this resurgence of of CDs are now come new CDs are big again and, yep. and uh, vinyl. Yeah, totally. Uh, I came so close to selling all my CDs like 15 years ago and um, I talked myself <laughs> out of it. And uh, so now I'm, I've got this never ending, you know, collection of all these CDs and it's cool. Cause every time I open one up, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Like I, I, you know, I really like the breeders, when it, when last splash came out and I was a huge, huge fan and I had kind of forgotten about the album, not forgotten about it literally, but I hadn't paid any attention in probably 15 years, 20 years. And then I started listening to it get on CD. I'm like, man, what a good, what a good example of, of, you know, artistry. And, and it all came yeah. back because it was right in front of me, you know? Yeah, that was, I was a huge fan of that album too. And I went out about all the singles and had all the B-side CD singles with the with the extra cuts and sure and uh, same thing. I was going through my I I was fortunately had my CD collection, so I was lazy and I just put it in storage and kept saying I got to sell those, got to sell those, and then <laughs> pulled them out. And I was like, oh, thank God I didn't. <clears throat> but I went through and much like you, pulled out my chunk of breeders uh, from Pod all the way on up to yeah. all the singles from Last Splash, and was just like. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one B side right. and then put it on. Yeah. It's it's I did the same thing with Tank Girl, the soundtrack to Tank Girl. Uh Baruch Salt has this great non album single on that and used to and I have haven't heard it since I put those away. So Very cool. Uh, did the same thing. I like that. So uh is white pizza actually pizza? Yeah. It is. <laughs> That was a definitive yes. and quick yes. I appreciate that. I've asked that question a lot, and normally I get uh, a lot of pauses. I get some, you know, confusion without any real answer. So, but you, you, you confidently, quickly, and definitively said yes. Tell me why. Uh, there's a pizza that locally here in Atascadero that I that I order, and it's a white sauce with chicken on it. I, it's great. Love it. There you go. So. To me, it's pizza. And folks, that's the only answer you need. If if it's pizza to you, then it's pizza. Do you remember uh, KTEL Records? Do you remember that that outfit? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> did you yeah. ever? Did you ever? Because I used to order those stupid things all the time, and then I would get them, and I would realize that they were doing something, and I don't know exactly, but they were like shortening. They would take a song that, let's say, was three minutes and fifty seconds. And they would shorten it down to like two minutes and forty five seconds. And and unless you were really paying attention and knew what the the real version was like, you'd never even think twice. But I'm like, this isn't the real song. And so I stopped ordering them because I was so pissed that they were like altering these songs. But they were when you're that age, they were so appealing because it's like all these hit songs on one and again, it's so weird to think about now if somebody who was fifteen heard me saying this they're like what are you talking about like you can yeah. just make a playlist right but it wasn't that simple back then like there was there was a lot of labor and effort that went into bringing all that music to one spot so i wanted to see if i could get did you ever order ktel what are your thoughts on ktel 
Yeah, my first KTEL was like uh, they had an album with all the novelty songs and Alley Oop and yep. uh, all that stuff on it. And I bought that was that I got that one was my first one. But I also got one, did get one in the 80s that had every band that at the time I couldn't get, you know, Haircut 100. Um, yes. And and I just looked at it. Oh, Duran Duran Haircut 100. Oh, yeah, this I'm going to order that album. And I got it. And now that you bring it up, I'm going to have to go back and see if they snipped any of those because there seems to be a lot of songs on that on that one Kate record. Yes, and I feel like that was one of the tricks they used to keep it a 33 speed was, <laughs> you know, just to kind of they, – they would just take out maybe one of the hooks, you know what I mean, or maybe like one of the choruses, just altered enough so that people wouldn't really care unless you were a, a psycho music nut like I was. Um, okay, so in yeah. retrospect and in your honest opinion, uh, what's your opinion uh, of the monkeys? Um, I have an attachment to them because I grew up watching the show and mm-hmm. I loved loved the show. And you can't deny the fact that the songs they did do there was a entertaining val- entertainment value that to this day you I hear that song and I think the monkeys. That's so, right. Um, I there I have no na- no negative uh, feelings about the monkeys. I had several of their albums. Amen. I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like they got, you know, look if you if you get inside the mind of those four back when they were struggling artists, you know, they were sold a bill of goods. We're going to put you on TV. We're going to get you a record contract. You're going to be huge. You're going to go on tour. It'd be very very difficult to say no to that offer. Right. So I get why they all were in that predicament. And then they kind of made a total joke. They were trying to be like, all right, what's close to the Beatles, but like an American version. They were trying to make a boy band. That's really what they were trying to do. And they did. But to your point, if you go back and listen to the music, like there's some real those songs hold up. I mean, there it's not you know, we're not talking deep, meaningful songs, but we're talking about pop songs. We're talking about pop songs that are still fun to listen to now. And I'll admit there was a period of time where I thought it was cool to not like them, but Mm -hmm. maybe it's me getting older. Maybe it's me getting nostalgic. But in the last, I would say five to six years, I've had a whole new appreciation for them. Maybe it's Davy Jones passing away. Um, But I, I always felt like, and you know, I was, I was like eight or nine when I used to watch them, but they made, they were, the TV show was funny. It was, you know, it was was entertaining. So I'm a monkeys fan as well. I was, yeah, I, I, Mickey Dolan's, I don't care what people say. Mickey Dolan's had an, just an amazing voice and uh, you can sit and listen to it and try and imagine anybody else doing it. And you're like, he had a good voice. Yeah. And Michael Nesmith actually had a, a couple of pretty good albums that um, were critically acclaimed, I think in the early eighties. Uh, yeah, Sunshine Sam or something like that. I forget the name of it now, but um, he kept making movies. I mean, music and and Davy Jones, of course, was was on the Brady Bunch, so that's all he needed to do. I mean, he was out there. Um, so give me. So let's say you've been given a magic wand uh, by the most powerful wizard on the planet, and this wand, unfortunately for you, only does one thing: it changes what's on Mount Rushmore. So right now, Mount Rushmore is four presidents. You wave that magic wand. It's got one use and one use only. And all of a sudden, up on that Mount Rushmore, 
there are four album covers, four of the most iconic album covers that either mean the most to you or you think are, are the best representation of music at that time or culture at that time. What are your four album covers of your Mount Rushmore after you wave that magic wand? Uh, London Calling. Yeah. Uh, the Clash. Uh, the smashing of the guitar just would make a great uh, Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, I would have to say, um, Pink Floyd Animals. Mm, good one. Yep. Uh, God, that's, that's a, it's a, now you're making me have to mentally go through my, my album collection and I can't physically do it right now. Like, oh, but, <laughs> otherwise I'd be in there just like, you can reserve the, the right like, to, you can reserve the right to change your answer afterwards mentally. Yeah. Um, I would have to, well, see, and it's, oh, boy, it's, it is tough. Um, I would have to say, see, I just love how much I, I can tell how passionate you are about music. Cause you're actually laboring over <laughs> picking an album cover. And that means that it means something to you. So that's, that's a plus in my book right there. Well, well I can't, it's like, do I pick it? Cause it's an iconic album to me. Like, uh, you know, okay. Computer Radiohead, right. but maybe Pablo honey. Cause then it'd be the baby. So you, you having these debates in your head and it's like, well, this is their best album, but it wouldn't make a very good Mount Rushmore album cover. Interesting. So it, yep. it, it's like that. Okay. Computer is recognizable because of the, how many times I played it, but I, the Benz and Pablo honey are ones that I remember in detail. Mm-hmm. So it would, I would have to throw, um, the Benz. Um, I just need a radio head up there. Okay. And the number four one would have to be, uh, Parallel Lines, Blondie. Nice. Uh, I like that. That's a great list. Had to put an American uh, artist up there. I like that. That's good. Um, And and Radiohead, honorable mention for uh, OK Computer. Didn't quite make the cut because um, of the reasons you mentioned. I I think that's awesome. (laughs) Now, you mentioned earlier you were were in a band. You were going to get signed. Henry Rollins' lawyer comes in and, and helps, you know, decipher the contract what instrument do you play uh mainly guitar um but i was doing a lot of writing so it's whatever instrument was needed at the time the, you know the drums i would play them i would play them poorly but it was to get the point across i mm-hmm. just that you know this this is what i want the beat to do yeah but uh mostly guitar and do you still play now Yes, I do. That's cool. I still have my guitar. So from That's awesome. all those years ago. I tried I, I mean I'm I'm the biggest fan of music and I tried so hard to be a musician and I've tried learning guitar guitar probably four times. I've tried drums, keyboards, um I, I've tried everything and I just I, I realized that I'm a much better fan of music than I am uh creator of music. So I just stayed in my lane, but I, I gave the, the, I even tried like, you know, 
uh, a f- I tried a flute. I tried the trumpet. <laughs> like I tried any instrument that was out there. My my mom got me lessons for, and I just could never quite pull it all together. So hats off to you for doing that. Uh, how many UFOs have you seen? Uh, I would say two. Nice. Okay, let let's we got to hear about it now. Uh, well, what? So this happened once when I was really little, and uh, so my brain was completely went straight to UFO. This is the seventies. UFO stuff was sure. awesome and hot. Yep. <clears throat> so, um, there was a, a junior junior high down the street from us, and we'd run down there at night and uh, when we were kids and try and invoke the police helicopter to chase us with their spotlight. And one night, my friend and I were running over, there it is, there's a spot, there's a police helicopter, there's a police helicopter, and we were trying to get it to come over and, you know, chase, so we pretend we were fighting and everything, and it's, and then we looked up, and it just stopped, and we're like, oh, it's not going to come over, and then it just, it, like, took off. Whoa. Just went straight up. And uh, my friend and I looked at each other, and we just were confused, we're in grade school, and ran home, and proceeded to tell her we saw a UFO and then everyone, ah, no, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. So there was that one. And another oh, one yes, was, you did <laughs> DJ spin checks. Yes, you did. Definitely. We were, uh, in, in, in this one, when I was older, we, I was on a scooter ride. I was in, I had a Vespa and we we're a bunch of us were on a scooter ride. And, uh, <clears throat> I was riding some, I had somebody on the back of mine and, and, uh, he taps my shoulder and he points, and he looks up, and there's just two lights um, going, but they're doing kind of crisscross, like mm-hmm. zigzagging over each other. And uh, then they, they, those two just took off. And later he's like, what do you think you were doing? And everybody else on the scooter ride, there was a couple of people that saw it too, and it was a debate. Everybody's going, oh, it was missile testing. And uh, other people said it was, you know, stunt flyers. But it was at night, and there were lights. But that was at a time when I just said, well, UFO. Wow. Keep it at that. Yeah, absolutely. Dig it. Um, did MTV ultimately help or hurt music? Ultimately, it hurt it, but in the beginning, it helped it. Okay. So I, 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 I'm going to take that as at the beginning, it gave a new platform for artists that might not have been recognized to be recognized and also allowed them to be artistic in a brand new way that might open up a whole different set of fans to something that's got some credence from an artistic perspective. But then to explain to me why it ultimately hurt. And if I'm wrong in that first part, correct me. No, you're absolutely right. You know, we wouldn't have a weird Al for MTV at yep. the beginning. Um, and he says that uh, <clears throat> the, it, it got to the point where it started trying to cater to everybody um, deliberately. So they started trying to create shows. Now, 120 Minutes was a great, I loved that show. Mm-hmm. But it was the beginning when they started categorizing everything. Because when MTV first started, you, I'd wait up to see the specials video, but I'd have to sit through Pat Benatar, mm-hmm. uh, Mata Hoople. And, and you're like, I don't even know who Mata Hoople is. But, right. you know, eventually I had to learn who these other <laughs> bands were. Right. and and I learned about bands that had, were no longer around and then, you know, just waiting to see a specials video. 
But <clears throat> when they started becoming, uh, like they started realizing the power they had, they were kingmakers. I think they just were trying to hard to, we'll have this show, we'll have this show and this show. And they, and they, they were no longer introducing and be a creative element anymore. Interesting. Right. They had like TRL, um, which was like total request live. And that was all like the pop stuff. Um, but yeah. yeah, they did, they did try to shoehorn in like every demographic of music fan into their own little compartment, um, yeah. on MTV. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Do you remember radio 1990? Remember that show? No. There was a show, mm-hmm. um, that was, it was kind of like night flight. Remember night flight? Yep. Yep. I have so, a night flight shirt. Okay, yeah, so it was kind of like Night Flight in that it was like, it was MTV, but instead of being a whole channel, it was on for a couple hours, and there was a show, Radio 1990, and it was, I forget her name, but it was a woman DJ, and they would play videos, but then they would also go into, like at the very beginning of MTV, when it was the original VJs, they would kind of give a backstory. They would talk about, it was almost like a real DJ would, they would give some perspective on where they came from and whatever. And that kind of went away. Well, radio 1990 was the same way that they would go into real depth, almost like a news program about these different musical groups. And that was right before and it was on, I forget the channel now, but it was on some UHF channel late at night. And it was on right before we ended up getting MTV on the cable channel. So we used to, record our VCRs, tape radio 1990 and then watch it the next day. And I think I probably still have some, some, uh, radio 1990 on VCR someplace in my house, but, uh, look oh, it up. Great. Yeah. Check it out. It's pretty cool. Um, okay. So we are down to our last two questions. Um, I'm going to give you the hard one first, Yeesh. at least right. what I think is the hard one. Uh, but it might be a walk in the park now that I've I've talked to you. So, rank in order of uh, cultural significance. Okay, I'm going to give you all these different ways to listen to music, and so don't rank them in terms of quality or what you like, but in terms of how it shaped the populace as it relates to music. So we've got a track, we've got cassette, we've got CD, we've got vinyl obviously and then we've got uh the ubiquitous digital file uh number one would have to be cassette number one Um, top of the list yep wow okay uh people could make their own playlists it was portable you got the walkman um people were trading uh you know cassettes and you could sit in a car with you know, 20 cassettes and uh, it just made music mobile and Mm. interchangeable. And you could design your own dream wish list of all the vinyl you have. And it was the first time you could manipulate an album and and vinyl and remove a song that you may or may not like, you know, play it twice uh, somewhere in the mix. So I think the cassette would have to be number one. Dig it. And then you've got, uh, what's, so if you don't want to rank them all, you don't have to, but what's the bottom, what's the least culturally important out of a track CD vinyl and digital? It would be a track. Yeah. Uh, 
it was just so annoying that when you're listening to a song and it's in the middle of the song, it switched to super. In the middle of the song, it switched to the switched to the track that it was bleeding onto, and it you not a lot of cars had them. They, I mean, they weren't portable. You couldn't. I mean, they did have portable eight track players. Like it was a I can't remember. It looked like a dynamite box, and you. Oh yeah, I had one. Yeah, that that one, but it just was. It was a clunky, clumsy way of of bringing music out, in my opinion. Yeah, they used to they used to warp super easy. Um, you know what I mean? Like you, if you had my my mom had an AMC Hornet with an eight track player in it, and she had a really good collection of eight tracks, and we had a player at home, and it was it was super annoying, but it was kind of cool because you know it was the new thing at the time, and you could kind of skip from track to track if you got lucky and, you know, pressed at the right time. But then if you put it up on your dashboard for 15 minutes in the sun, it was over. Toast. It was toast. Uh. It would just kind of like roll up and, and that's the end of it. And also the artwork would never stay on there properly. It would always kind of get, bubble. It would bubble. Yeah, it would bubble and start to peel off. And it it kind of ruined like you, you want that to be pristine. You don't want to be looking at a tattered, you know, Abbey Road. You want the Abbey Road to be just like it is on the on the album cover. So I would agree. We're gonna go number eight, or excuse me, bottom list is eight track and cassette number one, and I dig that. Um, okay, and then the last question is: so for those people out there, you you gave me a tip a couple of weeks ago of a band I honestly had never heard of, and I really like them. Um, if you could give a tip to our studio audience here, those listening at home, an obscure, underrated band, it could be from any era, that people, more people should know about, more people should listen to, uh, where would you point the good folks uh, in the No Outlet audience? What is an underappreciated band they should start checking out right now? Oof. Um, <clears throat> that. That I mean, there. That's that's hard because I'm actually engaged with the whole power pop, late '70s power pop genre, mm-hmm. and there are just so many uh, underrated bands. And one of the ones that uh, beginning of this year, I picked up their first LP, and the band's called Twenty Twenty. Okay, um, and they were in LA. Uh, they're Midwestern guys from the midwest moved to la because that was supposed to be the place to be um they they eventually got their lineup put out uh, their first album and their second album had a couple of uh, songs good songs on it but their writing was just one of those things like man they i can't believe well i can believe because of the timing of where music was going at the time mm-hmm. now how quickly how quickly the power pop genre kind of got pushed aside because if yep. you're not quite punk you're not quite new wave and you're not doing anything risky so i i, I would recommend 2020 2020 i love it um and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one out there it's not underappreciated i wouldn't really call them underrated but i feel like they didn't quite get a, as much of a do as they should have it was a band that when I first heard them when I was like 10 or 11, it scared me. Like one of their songs literally scared me. Uh, it's the tubes and the song was white punks on dope. 
And yeah. when I first heard that song, I'm like, what in the world? Who are these people? And what are they talking about? And I never want to go there because it's scaring me. And it still now scares me a little bit when I listen to it. But I could talk about music with you all night. I love geeking out on tunes. If you could see the audience here, they're on their feet. They've got big, huge Spin Checks logos. They've got the logo of KTEL. They're talking about everything. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you about music and, and things adjacent to music. So thank you for coming on the show. Hey, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure talking to you too also. Excellent. Guys, go check them out. Your, your Instagram handle is what, uh, Sheldon? It's At Spin Checks? Spin Checks. Spin yeah, checks. with an X. Go check them out, guys. Thanks again for being on the show. And uh, everybody out there, go 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 check out your local musicians, too. Find a local artist who's playing a guitar in a band, at a bar, at a restaurant, anywhere. Go buy a couple tickets and support your local musicians. Thanks Absolutely. again, DJ. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. See ya.